0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. I'm your host for today, Tommy Garrett. You can find me over on Twitter at PFN. And joining me once again is fantasy analyst here at Pro Football Network, Jason Katz. You can find him over at katz 13 Today's show, we're going to be diving into some training camp news, a little bit of preseason news, but really kind of talking about some players that we've changed our opinions on over the last few weeks, whether it be performances on the field or, quite frankly, what other guys have done, maybe a little bit of coach speak in there, which is always a little dangerous, but really kind of like what we're seeing coming out of training camp with these death charts with the finally been released. We just a little heads up. We are recording this on Sunday, so we do have a couple games going on, but you're not getting a ton of action from a lot of these starters probably coming up in the games today. But before we kind of dive into things, cats, how you doing today, my man?
1: Oh, man, it is. It is great to see the football season in sight. I mean, we get so these happy. preseason games, but let me tell you, I got to rant for a bit. We have an opening podcast Oh, we're doing this? Decision. All right. We're doing this. I am sick of these coaches playing starters in the preseason. They watch <laughs> guys go down in practice. They watch guys go down in you know, trading camp on the field, and then they just leave their starters out there. I mean, Andy Reid, giving Mahomes three series, did he not see enough last year? They made the Super Bowl when they we had the COVID year when there were no preseason games for anybody. Yeah. Sean, McVay, Sean McVay never plays starters. He never plays backups. They won the Super Bowl last year. What is the reason why Patrick Mahomes, who marches down the field in the first preseason game, looks like in midseason form? Why does he need anything more than that? he doesn't need that at all? But why did he need more than that? Why did Josh Allen need a series? I mean, have these teams learned nothing? I
0: I want to say they have, but at the same time, it's you want to get guys reps. But I'm with you. Like I'm not playing these players. I'm not doing it. Like they're getting enough looks in practice. Like. I don't need to put him on a clock on a field to know that, hey, these guys have it. Like, if you don't trust Patrick Mahomes at this point or Josh Allen to be good to go, then it is what it is. Like, maybe you just want to work on some timing, I guess. I don't know. Like, I feel like they're probably good to go at this point. I wouldn't have them out there. I mean, the saying every single year, look, the, the wins don't matter, but the injuries count. You know? And that's that's the last thing you want to see. So far, we've been relatively healthy. Like, knock on wood, cross your fingers find your lucky rabbit's foot, go practice some voodoo downstairs. I don't know what all you got to do, but let's just keep everyone in bubble wrap. I would prefer to kind of keep it this way. However, you know, it's it's kind of just the nature of the business. And I do want to kind of touch on one injury that's going on right now. But for the sounds of it, things should be okay. It's actually going to be going to the hernia surgery uh, for Kenneth Walker, the running back out of Michigan State, selected by the Seattle Seahawks. Doesn't sound to be overly concerning and also made it sound like, according to head coach B. Carroll, this is something that Walker had probably been playing with for quite some time. And look, if you saw his performance going back to to college, if he had it going all the way back then, then it'd be scary to see what he does when he is actually healthy. How are you kind of treating the Kenneth Walker news? Is this kind of just mudding the waters even more between him and Rashad Penny? Or is this really not changing anything for you in your opinion?
1: I was already on Penny slightly ahead of Walker just because I value that early season production. I do think Penny's going to open the season as the guy. And again, I have no confidence in Penny to play the full season, even though I'm not one to predict injury. I mean, we've got a lengthy track record. And if Penny goes down at some point, I think Walker takes over as that two down role with goal line carries. And if he plays well, which I think he can because he's a good running back, then. You're looking at him as the starter the rest of the way. I don't see a reason they necessarily get his job back. So I'm already on Penny a little ahead of Walker. This kind of secures it. I'm a little more in on Penny now because I'm pretty confident in the safe early season role. I don't expect Walker back for week one. I'm not a doctor. He could be. But I do think we'll get him within the month of September. So I'm not overly concerned about drafting Walker because where you're taking him, you wouldn't need him for the early season anyway. So as long as he's back by like week three, four, I think it's okay to continue drafting Walker as if he was healthy.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to note that Walker did start the team's preseason game the other day. However, he did that because, speaking of injuries, Rashad Penny's also dealing with a groin injury already. So that soft tissues are already starting to kick up there. That's always kind of been the nature with Rashad Penny is just keep him on the field. If he's on the field, we saw how special he can be. But we'll see whether or not he can do that this year. Not to mention that, too, but this is going to be a team that's probably going to struggle. We kind of saw that other game the other day between them and the Chicago Bears. where it was, That's just... That was a rough brand of football being thrown out there. We'll see what it's going to look like come week one. Another backfield we're kind of taking a look on right now, too, is the New England Patriots. More importantly, who's looking at that wide receiver kind of pass catching kind of role following the retirement of James White? I think we initially were slating Pierre Strong kind of being that coming from uh, South Dakota State. They kind of seemed like the initial lean when he was drafted. And I thought he could fight for that role, but very much now with. With James White having announced retirement, I think Pierre Strong kind of makes a little sense there, but also it's Ramondre Stevenson, one of the guys who we saw last year when he got an opportunity, he was fantastic, and honestly, one of the guys I was probably the most wrong about. He very much surprised me. He was not the running back that I thought we saw when he was at Oklahoma. It's it looked totally different last year, and I think it's momentum has really carried forward. And he's been getting a lot, he's been getting some decent receiving work so far this preseason. I know in my in my personal rankings, I've actually moved him ahead of Damian Harris. He's sitting in that RB twenty five, RB twenty-seven range right now because it's always difficult to trust a New England Patriots running back. It's historically been that way, and I don't think anything's going to change now. How are you kind of looking at the passing back role right now? Is it are we hoping this goes to um Ramondre Stevenson, or do you kind of feel are we looking more towards like the Pierre Strong and where no one is really getting the benefit because Pierre Strong doesn't have the carry floor to go with it to make him a starting asset every week, most likely?
1: I mean, a little foreshadowing ahead in terms of our, our main topic today, which is guys that we've changed our opinions on. I have come around entirely on Ramondre Stevenson. Earlier, if you asked me in like July what I thought, it was going to be Damian Harris is the starter and Stevenson's role is to play the Damian Harris role if Damian Harris gets hurt. And then third down back would be somebody else. The fact that they're working in Stevenson there, and I mean he did have a game last year where he had uh, where he had five targets. So it, there, mm-hmm. it's, I know it's only one game, but it's not completely unprecedented. And again, in their in their lone, in their lone playoff game, Stevenson had caught all four of his targets for 33 yards. So so there, there's something there where Stevenson kind of has proven that he can be in that role if they choose to use him there. The other wrinkle is Ty Montgomery. I mean he's a former wide receiver. He's kind of built for this exact role. Uh, so it, it's tricky. I definitely want Stevenson to have that role because I think that he's going to share some of the carries with Harris anyway. And if he has the passing down role on top of that, he's the more valuable running back for sure. And it's somebody I would actually want in fantasy. If we're looking at a scenario where Harris and Stevenson split early down work and then Montgomery is the passing down back, then it's kind of like, well, I don't really want anybody.
0: Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at right
1: now in the Patriots backfield.
0: I think that's my concern. It's and it's always that way, isn't it? Though when we talk about the New England Patriots, they have so many running backs. Like go back to when they also had like Rex Burkhead on this team. Like you never really knew who was going to be getting the ball all the time, and it just became just a disaster a lot of times when it came to fans and managers. Like we've avoided his backfield for so long. Can we finally trust someone? I don't know. We'll see. I do like I said. I like the lean personally on Ramadre Stevens because I'm also not worried about him getting potentially traded at some point mid season which is going to be a a potential talking point as we kind of move on. If an injury happens, could we see them kind of pull another Sony Michelle and move off Damian Harris? I don't know. We'll see this offense feels pretty complete with multiple running backs. And I think they're, they're still going to want to have that stability. Another team with multiple running backs, but I think we have seen everything we need to see at this point on the field to determine the pecking order. And that's going to be down there in Houston with their running back situation between Damian Pierce out of Florida, who was drafted in in this year's draft, along with Marlon Mack, the former Indianapolis Colt they picked up in free agency. Uh, To me, this is Damian Pierce's backfield. The fact that he didn't play said everything almost. Um, If we were doing the same logic when we had it with the Las Vegas Raiders, we were all overreacting with Josh Jacobs. I think we can do the exact same thing and overreact here and say, yeah, this is Damian Pierce's backfield. He's looked the better running back out there on the field. He's looked explosive. Now, granted, we're going against twos and threes, so a grain of salt must be applied to everything here. But he matches right now everything that I saw on film when he was at Florida, which always kind of puzzled me, like, why they chose not to use him. But i say right now we're looking at Damian Pierce being that RB1 for the Houston Texans. Now the question for you, Katz, is what does the RB one for the Houston Texans mean, and how does how do you kind of viewing um Damian Pierce right now? Assuming because it looks like he's kind of gotten a good stranglehold on that number one position.
1: Yeah, being the lead back for a team that's likely to be playing from behind a lot uh, isn't the most appealing. I do think that we're still going to see a uh, we're still going to see Mac involved maybe. Even if it's only three to five carries a game, it's still something. And then I do think we're going to see Rex Burkhead as the passing down back, which kind of limits Damian Pierce's upside. So I've got Damian Pierce ranked right now is like uh, on that RB3 4 borderline because there's definitely upside there. And if he's the guy getting going. I got him carries, at 38 then, right now. Uh, yeah, I have him at 37. So so we are pretty much in lockstep in terms of how we feel about him. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good spot for him because uh, it's, it's low enough where there's really no risk in taking him. And if it ends up being that he's just a two down grinder on a team not scoring a lot of points, then you just don't solder him or you hang on to him and hopefully turn things around or you drop him. And if it turns out that he's just a lot better player than we think he is, and we do think he's very good to begin with, uh, maybe we get some explosive plays. And even if we get just a mid-RB3, that's that's a, a significant positive return on investment based on, based on his current house.
0: I think RB38 is completely fair just because of the questions, but I don't think he finishes RB38. I think he has more room to grow throughout the season, and I think we'll probably see that moving forward. I like him, but I just have a few questions with him, and I like other offenses better. Grabbing a, a running back who is going to be having probably a hard time getting in the majority of the receiving targets on an offense that's probably going to likely struggle to get into the red zone. Not the highest ceiling uh, when it comes to fantasy production, but I still like Damian Pierce. I'm a big fan of his talent, like the cut of his jib, and hopefully we'll see kind of see him on the field early and often in 2022. Um, interesting one here, come down to Miami. Um, Dolphins fans, y'all have been... Speaking up this preseason, when it comes, to everything on this team, and I think the, the running back situation has kind of been the theme so far today has not really changed so much. Um, Chase Edmonds, uh, followed by Sonny Michelle in Miami's backfield. I think it's looked like Edmonds, for me, was probably the better option to be the, the breakout, but Sonny Michelle, when they brought him in, was like, okay, if we're looking at someone who's probably going to be a really annoying thorn in the side. That's probably going to be him as that short area kind of yardage player. Also in the red zone, um, taking away those kind of opportunities that we kind of saw what James Conner did to uh, Chase Emmons in Arizona, but probably not to the same extent. How are you looking at the uh, the Miami backfield right now?
1: I'm not happy with their decision to put Chase Emmons on the field yesterday because yeah. I like drafting him really late. And I think that uh, his performance, specifically as a receiver, running seven routes and catching up, uh, uh, I think it was one or two balls. He had one like, nice 16-yard catch, I think. I think that that mm-hmm. performance... It's going to spike his ADP a bit, a little bit. Even even if it's one round, that's, that's going to make him too expensive, and it's it's unjustified because Chase Edmonds is he's being drafted in the at the right spot. I like Edmonds; he's a nice player. But like you said, Sony Michelle is going to be involved. I don't see Evans as the goal line back. And remember, Raheem Mostert didn't play in this game, so there, there's there's still some ambiguity there about what his role will be. And I just don't see a world where Evans is is playing. As much as he was in the preseason, I think we oftentimes we look at the preseason snap and go, "Oh, that guy's the guy." It's like this is this is his first game action since last season. The fact that mm-hmm. Evans played like seventy percent of the snaps with with Tua, that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be his snap share. It just means they wanted to get him his work in early because they know he's. So do you feel out of the it was game. more just
0: kind of playing catch up from not playing in like in week one or whatever?
1: Yeah, I think it was more of just, this is all you're playing in the preseason. We want to get you your 10 to 15 snaps or whatever it is and get you out of the game. We, we don't want to prolong this by shuffling you in and out the way we would in the season. So we're just going to push you in there. You're going to stay in the game. You're, you're healthy. You're fine. You're young. And then, then we'll pull you out. So I don't think there's, I, I still think that we're looking at a scenario where Evans' snap share is more than 50% range. So I like him and I do, and I want to draft him, but I don't want to see his ADP spike to a point where I can no longer draft him because it really shouldn't based on what we saw.
0: Yeah, looking at his ADB right now, he is currently the RB33 coming off the board around pick 87.
1: Um, does that feel still fair to you? If that's where he stays at, then yeah, I'm I'm fine to draft him there. I'm afraid he's going to get into that mid to high 20s range, and at that point, um, then we're kind of taking him at a ceiling. That's kind of how I feel. I like, I've got him it.
0: ranked right now as a low-end RB2, right around like 23 to 25 kind of range. Um, I don't know how much higher I could put it, quite frankly because I feel like the play on the field would have to dictate that because there's several running backs So I think are just in a little bit better situations. Um, but I, I still think Chase Evans, if anyone's going to break out in the backfield, it should be him, and I do like him ahead of some other running backs that are kind of going later on, or actually going a little bit ahead of him in drafts. Um, one other player, I actually wanted to touch on, and we'll kind of keep it down here in Miami, keep it down in the gardens, Eric Enzakuma um, really had his breakout performance uh, the other day during the preseason, where you end up with over 114 receiving yards, uh, fourth round pick out of Texas Tech. Uh, the interesting thing to me, kind of the drawback to this, was Miami Dolphins. Their wide receiver coach is uh, Wes Welker. Funny enough, Wes Welker was actually the one who was pounding the table, hoping the Miami, trying to get the Dolphins to draft Eric Enzakuma. He was also the one that ran his pro day, as he was also a former alumni of the uh, of Texas Tech of the Red Raiders. I, probably not a guy we're looking at anytime soon in redraft. I think he was a guy who was – I know I liked. I know um, Ian Cummings, a college football and NFL draft analyst for us here, he was very high on him as well. Graded him very highly in his stuff. Big fan of his game. Uh, especially the contact balance. He's kind of got some of those – I hate using an example, but those Debo-esque style qualities. He's just, he specializes after the catch. Very good contact balance. It kind of harder to find. Um, and he can fit that role. And kind of end this offense, but it's going to take several injuries, whether it would be Jalen Waddle, where it would be Tyreek Hill, or a combination of both, similar to last year with like with a uh, Nick Westbrook or Kine, where it really kind of took AJ Brown and Julio Jones both coming off the field for him to kind of find value. For me, it's more of still a dynasty play, but definitely a name to look out for if something does happen to Hill or Waddle, then Eric Nzakuma could looking for potential role, could be looking for more potential work there alongside Cedric Wilson. What are your thoughts so far on kind of this Miami passing game? Are you still very much it's the Hill and Waddle show? Or do you find there could be value for some of these guys later on in drafts? Or is it really kind of going to take an injury to kind of make anything happen here?
1: At this point, I, I can't believe that Tua is going to support more than two fantasy-relevant receivers, plus a pass-catching back and possibly a tight end, even though I'm very down on it. I think I the Kisiki. tight end
0: is the shaky part of that.
1: Yeah, I want no part of Gasicki. So no, it's, I don't either. It's Tyreek Ty- 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 and Waddle. I don't even think I'm drafting Cedric Wilson at this point. He's the one I'd pick up if Hill or uh, Waddle gets hurt. And then if we see two injuries, which is not unprecedented, what Eric Ezra Ezra showed is that if he can get on the field, he has the talent to produce. But getting on the field is probably unlikely. It's just a name we wanted you to just... just I mean, he's been on the field with our
0: QB1 in Skylar Thompson.
1: Oh, shots fired. Am I not allowed to say that? Am I going to get
0: handed on right now by the Dolphins fans?
1: I mean, the the Dolphins fans kind of... uh, I kind of run the show here. <laughs> You're not
0: kidding. But I will say, look, in, in fairness, if he can, if, if Mike McDaniel can make Skylar Thompson look the way he has, I can't wait to see how Tua looks this season. Honestly, and quite frankly, I just hope Tua balls the hell out. Like, I just want this kid to play well and, and just shut some people up. Like, I love seeing just justice being served on people. This is one of those. Take it, put the football down everyone's throats, tell them to shut up and that you belong in the NFL. That's the best way for him to shut up all the critics. I hope he does it. Um, we're going to keep it down here in 4-2 with another running back situation. Rashad White entering the game after the winner Fournette. It definitely feels to me, uh, Rashad White is that pretty clear RB2. Uh, I'm sorry, anyone who believed in Keyshawn Vaughn, but that that ship has sailed, I got a feeling, it's going to go down as one of the worst. First-round picks for Dynasty, at least in terms of rookies, in quite some time. Uh, I don't see him really... Taking too much away from Leonard Fournette, I know you're very high on Fournette. Um, to you, he's a borderline first-round pick. I'm going to with you. I think he's going to be great this year. But Rashad White's definitely going to have value. Is he someone you think could have standalone value, or is it really just kind of you need to have Fournette on your roster already to justify taking Rashad White, given that his ADP is starting to balloon a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think Rashad White's ADP is a reflection of this belief that he could take work from Fournette. I don't buy that at all—not not even a little bit. I don't think that Rashad White is taking any work from Fournette. I think he is purely there in, as somebody that just—he's the—he's the most talented running back on the team other than Fournette. So if Fournette gets hurt, Rashad White's probably the guy you want. But I—I I don't care about any of these backs unless as as Fournette's healthy.
0: He's an eighty percent version of Fournette. Like they kind of both have success in the same kind of areas. They're good receiving backs. They've got plenty of burst. It's just Fournette just has way more strength and better contact balance. Like, but you're not taking them off the field. Um, and also Rashad White still. Uh, we'll see how these things update as the thing goes. I guarantee this will start to rise. Currently RB fifty seven coming off the board as the uh, at number one sixty nine in ADP. But I don't think it'll stay that way for for far too long. Another one name. Another name we're seeing rise is Jalen Warren as it pretty much looks like. He has surpassed both Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland as the RB2 and the true handcuff to Najee Harris. Uh, I didn't necessarily see this one coming, but at the same time, it was like it was a wide-open backfield. Like Benny Snell hasn't impressed anyone. Anthony McFarland hasn't impressed anyone. If anything, Mateo Durant looked like he was going to have a chance. UDFA, the Pittsburgh Steelers, brought in out of Duke and actually signed him to the largest UDFA contract in Steelers history. But this really feels like Jalen Warren right now. We'll see how the opportunities kind of shake out. It's very much Najee Harris's job, but I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers want someone as critical as him to once again be leading the NFL in touches in his second year. I know they're going to need him. They need to keep him healthy. And right now, to me, it does seem like I would prefer Jalen Warren to be that handcuff for the Pittsburgh Steelers if you have Najee Harris. You kind of feel the same way so far?
1: I tell you this much: I have no interest in drafting Benny Snell. I never so, did
0: from the beginning.
1: Yeah, he he was not a good prospect. He wasn't good in the NFL. I, I don't know. I'm actually surprised he's still in the NFL. And here's what I know: If Benny Snell has to play behind that offensive line with Mr. Bitsu or Kenny Pickett, what's he going to do? Does he mean RB four? At the very least, maybe Jalen Warren with his pass catching chops can can put up like PPR RB three numbers. But the reality is, if Najee goes down, that's going to be an absolute disaster in that backfield. We're not going to see one guy get anywhere near his workload. It's going to be it's going to be a shared backfield. Uh, so I do think that Warren is the guy to take a shot on. But I mean, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if every Steelers running back, not named Najee Harris, was on waivers by week three.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't draft anyone outside of Najee Harris on the Pittsburgh Steelers backfield. I mean, it took him averaging 2.2 yards per carry after contact just to get to 3.9. It was absurd how bad the Pittsburgh Steel's offensive line was last year. And it's so far, it's not looking any better. Um, it's a good thing they have a quarterback with some more mobility, whether it is Kenny Pickett or it is Mitch Trubisky, because honestly, Ben Roethlisberger would be still getting sacked if he was out there on the field right now. Um, and I just want to bring up here, too, is another, another RB2 battle. And it's kind of been the trend so far this right now. Because that's, that's what the preseason is for. We know the number ones. But who are who's the next man up? And it's actually coming down here in Philadelphia. Miles Sanders, by far, we know he's the number one. But there's also a team that was going to utilize multiple running backs. Interestingly enough, Kenneth Gainwell, at least here so far in Week 2, was playing behind Boston Scott. What are your kind of main takeaways so far with this backfield situation? Do you kind of see a, a change taking place here? Because like they really like Kenneth Gainwell coming out of Memphis. Or are you kind of seeing this as more of like, okay, hey, Boston Scott, that pure kind of rusher kind of style, not so much going to get all the receiving upside. Where are you kind of leaning on this backfield right now?
1: Um, I mean, how much do they really like Gainwell? I, mean, I know they liked it when they drafted him, but we saw the way he was used last year, and they they went out of their way to not to not just like not use him, but they diminished his usage as the season progressed. He opened the season with an immediate role, and. By by mid-season, he was only showing up in blowouts. I mean, this guy wasn't used any faster the game. He wasn't. He's was barely seeing the field. In like week in week sixteen, the guy played two snaps. I, I don't I don't know. And then and then we have the situation this year where we see him playing behind Boston Scott now in a preseason game in yeah. a game where they rested all the starters. I, I'm I, game was a popular like picking that RB like 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 thirty six to like forty two type range that RB four with upside. And, and I do think the upside's there because I think he's a, he's a nice player, but I worry that he's the RB3 again behind Boston Scott, who has been great for them every time they've called upon him.
0: Yeah. I guess my question is, given the uncertainty of who's behind him, are you changing your – are you moving Miles Sanders around anymore, given that they have, like, no certainty in who that RB2 is? Are you starting to feel a little better in Miles Sanders' role in this offense, or are you still pretty much just kind of staying out of this backfield entirely? And if you want a rusher from the Philadelphia Eagles, are you just going to draft Jalen Hurts?
1: Yeah, I'm all in on Jalen Hurts, and I've been warming up to A.J. Brown. I like Dallas Goddard. I've never been a big Miles Sanders guy, and I do believe that uh, if Miles Sanders was this good running back, then for a guy who averages over five yards per carry and has a really impressive explosive run rate, why haven't they committed to him? Why do they pull him out near the goal line? Why do they refuse to give him the ball in high-leverage spots? There's, there's got to be something there that we're not seeing because the coaching staff does not trust him as much as his uh, his like box score numbers indicate they probably should. So I'm just I'm out on Miles Sanders and I, I'm I'm still taking Gainwell because he goes late enough where there is no risk, but I'm definitely worried about it.
0: It's weird because honestly, like Sanders has the talent. Like I, I liked him coming out of Penn State, but it's just it's just not offense going to utilize his skill set, and it's just it's kind of a shame. And it's it just add him to the growing list of running backs who I kind of am like just don't want a part of this year. Uh, it's it's I'm finding more and more. And quite frankly, it's a kind of segment into our, our next little topic here. Kind of just some players we've kind of changed our minds on. I think it's a pretty good segue here. Another player I'm just pretty much out on. Washington right now has all but destroyed any value anyone ever felt they still had on Antonio Gibson. When you come out in your second preseason game and Antonio Gibson is catching the opening kickoff, but Brian Robinson is getting the first carry of the game. Alarm bells, they weren't going off that point. They should be sounding louder than the iceberg warnings on the Titanic did. At this point, his ADP and his value is sinking about as fast, too. At this point, I'm out on Antonio Gibson. I've dropped him pretty much down in my rankings. He's down all the way to like RB29 at this point. Um, he's in there around like Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson kind of range. I, I'm not saying that Brian Robinson has completely passed him in those rankings, but I have seen some people starting to talk about, look, what if Brian Robinson is actually the RB one in Washington? Quite frankly, I don't know about you, Cats. I can't say I'd be shocked based on what we're seeing on the field. No, it's me. I'm I'm
1: people. Okay, you are people. <laughs> I, am, I, am well, I would
0: like the people to talk to the other people and tell us why those people are thinking the other people should adjust.
1: I, I moved Robinson up to 35 and Gibson down to 40. I, I, I swapped okay. him. I, I can't get Robinson any higher than that because he is still it. a two-down grinder on a Washington, on a Carson Wentz-led offense. And then we had the issue of J.D. McKissick not playing in this game, so we don't know how he's going to factor in, especially now with with Gibson's role marginalized because I still think that like this is still a player who was a college receiver. So, and he so he, he 33 can play that third carries down role, in Memphis. right? He can play that. He can play that passing down role. They just chose not to use him in that role. But he played that role when McKissick was out last year. And what if he? What if he has that role now? And 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 I'm if, if he has that passing down role, he's probably too low at RB forty, and he probably should be up closer into the high thirties, maybe still a little ahead of Robinson and then McKissick should be the one who's absolutely buried because he's now been vanquished by, by Antonio Gibson, who's probably a more explosive player, better in that role. Will they use it that way? I, I don't know. We don't have that information. At this point, I'm going to need a significant discount on Gibson to take him. And if Brian Robinson's ADP doesn't correct fully, I'm gonna have him everywhere.
0: Yeah. I was never in on Gibson this year. Um Same. Just a guy I love, but I couldn't get behind him at his ADP. Quite frankly, I was already worried enough about the impact of JD McKissick being back on this offense, and I thought that Ramondro I thought that and uh, Remond- I I thought that Brian Robinson would um, just kind of be that more goal line vulture kind of guy. I didn't expect him to fully take things over. And I think there's absolutely a chance at this point it could happen. And then it becomes a JD McKissick and Antonio Gibson battling for the receiving role. Like, I, I at this point, like, I'll just draft Brian Robinson later and, and just completely avoid Antonio Gibson. That's a guy who I've absolutely kind of changed my opinion on just because I've lowered Gibson, but I have increased Brian Robinson because that's not a guy that I was extremely high on. Kind of similar to Ramondre Stevenson last year, which maybe that's a sign of me. And I got to rethink about my process, things like that. Uh, Because that's two guys who I wasn't necessarily the highest on, but are starting to kind of really ball out. Another guy who is balling out right now, look, Michael Thomas. I was lower on him. I think we both were because we weren't sure where his injury is. Michael Thomas and his ankle, he kind of looks like Michael Thomas. And that's a darn good thing, considering the, uh, the historic paces that we saw him go on. A couple years ago, but that was also with Drew Brees and Sean Payton at the helm. Um, I know for me, Thomas has gone up in my rankings as it just looked like he's just finally healthy. It also seems like um, Jameis Winston's kind of going to be joining him and being back and ready. I've got him as a low end RB two. What are your thoughts on Michael Thomas right now, and what has kind of changed for you throughout this offseason, especially the preseason?
1: It's just I'm, I'm sure you meant you. I'm sure you meant you had a low as low end wide receiver too, not an RB two. We were just talking about running back, so. Oh, no sorry. No deal there. It's all, it's all good. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm with they you. Give on him that. running
0: back designation. That'd be sick.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on Michael Thomas. I was skeptical at first. I mean, I opened. I had him ranked in like first. I ranked him in like the 30s, and I dropped him into the 40s. He was 30s and,
0: for me. Yeah, just it was a placeholder spot though until we knew where his injury is.
1: Right. It's one of those things where we have to do rankings in May because it's our job. <laughs> but like, it so sooner. Don't, we don't know what, the, what these rankings mean in May. I mean, you shouldn't be drafting based on the things that's for sure. <laughs> and a lot I of barely even know what
0: the Week One rankings are going to look like, and I've already got those things kind of started.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is this is the guy who finishes the overall wide receiver one. I mean, I know it was it was uh, it was a few years ago, and and but what we're not saying he's going to be wide receiver one again. We're not ranking no, him that no, no, no. high. We're saying we're saying that we think with Jameis Winston and Michael Thomas being presumably fully healthy. He's he's a good pick as a low wide receiver too. I got him at wide receiver nineteen. I think it's a very fair spot for him. I can see I can see someone who wants to rank him even higher. I think you can get him into that fourteen to sixteen range if you really wanted to. At the same time, if you're out, you want to rank him at thirty, go right ahead. That's fine too. Uh but but he's someone that I've come around and I've decided that the the uh the juice is worth the squeeze, as they say.
0: I like that. I think it's also interesting. He's also probably worth his is he with the best complement of receivers he's probably ever been with, Chris Olave and, and Jarvis Landry? I think he very well might be. And look, is the ceiling there where he ends up being a a high wide receiver, too? Yeah, it absolutely is, because he's sneaking to the low-end wide receiver run range. One range, wouldn't surprise, especially on a points-per-game basis, because he's still got to stay healthy throughout the entire season. But I think on a points-per-game basis, we're going to see a really darn good player. And speaking of another darn good player, for me, this hasn't really changed. Like I've yeah, been this in on this guy. Yeah, this is this is for you. Everyone else who knows me, y'all know we've been in this camp. This train has been stock locked and running down the tracks. Go ahead and talk to me about Gabriel Davis. Go ahead. Talk to me about how you've now come to the light side of the things. You are now on the correct side of
1: history. All right, I'll, I'm going to tell you what happened, okay? Here's the issue. In my rankings, there's a range from about – 23 to about 35, where I think these guys are very flat. They're all very similarly ranked, and I,
0: I think that's totally fair. By the way, but continue. it is, and
1: you're right. And what I did was I I kind of gave the tiebreakers to wide receivers who were the wide receiver ones in their own offense, and we know fair. that is not Gabriel Davis. And and in doing that, it basically ended up in a scenario where I I kept pushing him down because we have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks. Amon Ross St. Brown, Rashad Bateman, Darno Mooney, Hollywood Brown, Drake London, all of these guys definitively the wide receiver one for their teams with Hollywood it's the first six weeks, but they're the ones. So I'm like, okay, well, Ty goes to the guy who's the one. And I thought about it some more. I watched him play a little bit in the preseason, which I know I shouldn't react to, but I, I he just he looks it's good. Good
0: reaction season, man. You gotta Josh, do it.
1: Josh Allen's a wizard, and this is the Buffalo Bills offense. And I do think that exceptions need to be made for wide receiver twos who are in elite offenses, much like we've done with T. Higgins ranking him so high as a wide receiver two in his offense. Mm-hmm. So I've decided that if Gabriel Davis is going ahead of any of those guys, he's going ahead of all of them. And now he's all the way up at wide receiver 24. And I may even put him at 23 ahead of Cooks. I haven't decided on that yet. So so there we go. I'm in borderline wide receiver two. And, yeah, uh, Gabriel Davis. So my oh. opinion literally changed.
0: You love to see it, folks. You absolutely love to see it. I've I've been all in on Gabriel Davis, no surprise here. I, he has never fallen lower than like wide receiver 30, 23 for me this entire offseason. That's still where he's holding out right now is a wide receiver twenty-three. Um yeah, I'm I'm all in.
1: I mean it's so now, now we're both right you there.
0: If Stefan Diggs is going to catch every single ball in Buffalo, you're fooling yourself. Um and honestly that's another thing we can kind of dive into here. Look, Jameson Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie. I'm just kind of sticking with the same theme of the of the of the uh, roster. I loved I I love Jameson Crowder, and I know myself and Cody Rourke, who's now working over a mile high sports. Used to work with us. Me and him used to do the uh, the PFN Daily Show. We talked about this at the time that Jameson Crowder might be the best signing of free agency in terms of the role that he fit, fitting that role that Cole Beasley held, which generated over 105 targets over the last three years. Jameson Crowder could be more efficient. Sorry, uh, Isaiah McKenzie has won that job and looks like he will be the starting slot receiver for the Buffalo Bills. I don't expect him to see the entire 100% volume of bulk of that volume. I think more than likely we kind of see Crowder and McKenzie kind of get some reps on there, but it does, it definitely seems like Isaiah McKenzie has vaulted over uh, Jameson Crowder. I have done that personally in my rankings movement. Isaiah McKenzie right now, currently up to. Wide receiver fifty eight. Um, trying to look at real quick where he is in ADP. Yeah, it, it hasn't totally adjusted yet. He's still showing up as a wide receiver seventy seven two twenty four in ADP. I, Jameson Crowder is eighty six. It's but what I do notice here is like whether or not they've completely separated. There has been a flip where McKenzie is going above Jameson Crowder. I agree with that, but I think the gap will. Um, only widen as time goes on here. McKenzie looks like a starting slot receiver. Are you kind of buying into Isaiah McKenzie, or do you think there's we're starting to get to the volume where we're going to probably not be enough target share to help out McKenzie to make him a viable flex play for you throughout the season?
1: I'm all in. Uh, the moment that Jameson Crowder returned to practice and ran with the twos, that was it. Mm-hmm. I think my rankings right away. And I've only uh, the other the day, literally, Isaiah yeah.
0: McKenzie did not play, Jameson Crowder played. If you go by the
1: philosophy of starters,
0: starters don't play, then yeah, you know,
1: yeah, you're Tommy's talking about the first preseason game. In the second yes. preseason game, the starters all played. And guess what? We didn't see Crowder out there until, until, the, until we saw Case Keenum. And I mean, we saw a little bit of Crowder rotating in, but like McGenzie was the starter. And then it was Crowder and Crowder was playing with the twos consistently. Now, Crowder certainly has value. I mean, if something were to happen to any of the top of sure. receivers on the Bills, then Crowder's someone that's going to be worth picking up immediately. But McKenzie, he won that slot job. We have seen his ceiling. He's posted a fantasy point total of 29 and 30 in in two games in his career. The fact that he did that at all, you don't do that without talent. Uh, So, yeah, I'm in on McKenzie. I've got him all the way up at wide receiver 48.
0: I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, and just kind of looking at uh, the snap count from when the Buffalo Bills played the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. Gabriel Davis actually led the team with 10 snaps, six routes, two targets. Stephon Diggs. Saw two targets on his eight snaps. and third, only saw one target. Four routes was Isaiah McKenzie at seven. Jameson Crowder all the way down there at only two snaps. So I, I think I'm with you. I'm I'm all in on Isaiah McKenzie over top of Jameson Crowder. Um, I think another one interesting one here we kind of touch on real quick. It's I don't know how much of anyone's ever going to be starting him, but I think it's a name to watch as this backfield is. You want to target. Talented players and ambiguous backfields. I don't have all the confidence in Clyde edwards Alaire. I don't know if anyone has, and as of right now, it looks like Isaiah Pacheco truly could be that RB two on this team. Is there a path, in your opinion, Cats, to where Isaiah Pacheco could actually be the most valuable fantasy asset in the Chiefs' backfield for my points per game basis?
1: Well, in our bold predictions that we published uh, a little while ago, um, one of mine was that Clyde Edwards-Alea would be the third most valuable member of this backfield. So I certainly, I mean, it's bold. I don't think it's necessarily likely, but yeah, it's certainly plausible. I don't think CEH is anything more than a replacement level talent. And if, all it would take is for just Andy Reid to just get you know fed up with his inefficiency or uh, yeah. or just or just see Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco perform better in practice and decide that, okay, we're going to roll with these guys. I mean, McKinnon was their lead back in the playoffs last year, and they like him. And I I it would not shock me if this season ended, ended with a scenario where Pacheco was the two-down early with their early-down back, and we saw McKinnon in the passing game, and CEH was just kind of left there looking like, what do I do? Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's not likely, but it's possible. So if I'm taking a Chiefs running back, I'm more interested in the McKinnon-Pacheco. It's like throw a dart at one of them as opposed to spend up. Even, even an eighth round paper, C.H. might be too expensive for me.
0: Yeah. Um, let me pull up C.H.'s ADP real quick. Kind of give you guys an idea where he's being drafted. Yeah, currently, oof, uh, ADP of 61 overall, RB 26. Yeah, that's that's going to be a no for me, dog. Because uh, if we just kind of <laughs> look where he's being drafted around, He's being drafted right around like Jerry Judy, AJ Dillon, Jalen Hurts, Marquise Brown, Amon Rossane Brown, Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, Darno Mooney. Yeah, like this is a group of guys like Michael Thomas, Gabriel Davis are all actually going behind Clyde Edwards Alaire. I could not take uh, Edwards Alaire over top of any of these guys. This is even assuming that Ronald Jones gets cut, which I think is very much a possibility because he looks very buried on the depth chart. I don't know if we see any of the three running backs between Pacheco, McKinnon, Edwards, Alaire play more than fifty percent of the snaps. Like, I think they're probably just going to eat each other's volume so much to where it's not likely where any of them are going to be fantasy assets, barring an injury to someone else. While I like some of the talent on these guys, I just don't find much value, and that's kind of the that's kind of the bad part here. I think there's talent, but there's just not a lot of value. The last one I want to hit on, who I think is probably one of the best values in drafts right now. Look, Brandon Ayuk. as much as we love Debo Samuel, I could make an absolute case to where Brandon Ayuk is a better value at his price point than Debo Samuel is at his. He's not in the doghouse anymore. He's got a hell of a role right now. Every single highlight coming out of camp is highlights of Trey Lance to Brandon Ayuk making an explosive play and doing what he always has done. We're talking about a player who is also very efficient on things. Believe it or not, Brandon Iuk. It's pretty darn efficient. Last year, 13th in yards per route run, and was and just absolutely crushed it on a points per game base basis. I believe like the wide receiver 21 amongst wide receivers starting at least three games uh throughout like from like weeks nine and on when he finally got out of the doghouse. Like the guy was good. He's got low end wide receiver two upside. Probably price him as like a wide receiver three right now. Sorry. I currently have him as my wide receiver 30. I love Brandon Ayuk in this offense. This is not a shot at Debo Samuel. I think Debo Samuel is going to be incredible. He's coming off 1,400 yards, a record-setting performance as a rusher, as a receiver. I think he's going to be great, but don't discount Brandon Ayuk, and I feel like that's probably happening a little bit too much. Like He's kind of in that Kadarius, Tony, Elijah Moore kind of range of guys who I want in every single draft. What are your thoughts so far on uh, Brandon Ayuk as we kind of wrap up today's show?
1: It's funny because, like, I didn't raise Ayuk that much in my rankings, but he was more, like, if you rank guys in spots, and sometimes you're like, I got to put him here because yeah. that's where like, he should go, but I don't really want to take him. He was and, already yeah. in the 30s. Right. So I, I looked at Ayuk as that player where it's like, okay, like, I'm okay with it. Like, like if he, if he ends up falling and, like, he's a top guy on my board, yeah, I'll take him. But over the past month or so, Ayuk has gone from a player that I would just be like, all right, whatever, to okay, I actually really want to draft him and I hope that his ADP stays low because like, if I can get him like, in the eighth round, I'd be, that'd be absolutely mint. And I, 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 uh, Right now, I his ADP
0: is overall of, uh, ADP of 94, wide receiver 39. Nine, 94th right. pick off the board.
1: That, that's right around the area where I'm looking to draft him. And I, I just, think that, I just I think that that's his floor. And he's being drafted at his floor. And the best type of players to draft at Fantasy are guys at their floor because it's all mm-hmm. upside. And, yeah, Ayuk is somebody that I've really come around on as of late.
0: Yeah, don't draft players at their ceilings. That is not how you do well in fantasy football. Like, you've got to draft guys at a good value that are going to outperform their ADP. You stack that up long enough, you end up with a ton of value. And a lot of guys that you drafted as your RB4, and I have a ton of RB2. Same goes for for wide receivers. Brandon Ayuk is one of those names who I'm wanting in every single one of my drafts. And if you want to go running back, running back early because that falls off really quickly. You want to add more depth at wide receiver. Brandon Ike is one of those names kind of keep an eye on in your drafts, which are coming up really, really quick. Well, that's going to wrap up today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoyed today's episode of the show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, continue to stay up-to-date with all the latest news around the NFL by heading over to profootballnetwork.com where you can find all the analysis covering not only fans football, but breaking news around the league, college football, betting, and the NFL draft. And speaking of the NFL draft, it is also never too early to start getting in your 2023 mock drafts using the PFN MDS, which you can find over at profootballnetwork.com forward slash mock draft. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself at Tommy PFN over on The Bird. Speaking for Jason, I am Tommy, and we will see you guys in another episode of the show.